Welcome to PwC's Accounting Podcast Series. I'm Heather Horn, a partner in PwC's National Office, and I'll be your host. In today's episode, we're looking at the role of the Audit Committee. I'm pleased to welcome to the studio Paula Loop, PwC's governance leader, and I'm looking forward to hearing her insights. There's a lot to discuss, so let's get started. So let's start with the basics. I've always noticed that the audit committee meetings that my clients are getting longer. Oh, you're absolutely right. So um, just to give you a little bit of data on that, for the S&P 500 boards, overall board meetings are about eight times a year. The audit committee meets on average 8.4 times a year. So even more times than the board, right? Because they'll have uh, meetings in between, telephonic or in-person meetings. And then the comp committee, the compensation committee, probably the second one that meets the most is six times a year. Mm. And nominating governance is only five times a year. And I think the interesting thing is their topics are really broad. I mean, we started, you know, you think about it as being financial reporting and probably the internal controls around financial reporting, but it goes on to oversight of internal audit, oversight of external audit. There's also, they have to monitor what's going on with ethics and compliance. And then risk oversight tends to end up also at the audit committee. I would say over at least over 50% of boards still just have the traditional um, required committees, which is comp and nominating governance and audit. So the audit committee typically will take, in those environments, will take on risk oversight as well, which can include anything from ERM, cybersecurity, data privacy, et cetera, et cetera. So it is a really big plate. Do you have. see some boards setting up special committees to deal with those types of issues like risk, cyber? I would say that boards are constantly talking about that because of the fact that you know risk is expanding, especially you know all elements of risk oversight. So I would say for the S&P 500 boards, it's still somewhere around 20% or less, um, boards actually have a risk committee. As you probably know in financial services, you're right. required to have a risk committee for banking but insurance companies kind of have taken that on a bit, so there's more financial services in general companies have risk committees, but even you know your basic industrial products company has thought about it just because of the workload for right. the audit committee. And then if you do have a risk committee, that probably would take on cyber. And there's some boards, I would say probably less than 10% of boards that have like a technology type committee, and that might take on either emerging tech as well as cyber or all elements of technology. So every board does it differently, which I think is an interesting thing, right? There's right. no, you know, the required are the by the stock exchanges are the you know the basics, but you can do whatever works for your structure. Right, but in the meantime, I guess until more companies embrace these extra committees, more work for the audit committee. Yeah, and then so given that, what types of skills are you seeing audit committee members needing, given that there's such a wide range of topics they're yeah. covering now? No, you're you're spot on. That is really an issue that they talk about as well. So first of all. Every audit committee is required to have either required to have a financial expert or disclose why they don't have a financial expert. And so for the most part, most companies have a financial, I think almost all companies have a financial expert. And um, the average for the S&P 500 is I think 2.2 financial experts are disclosed. So the interesting thing to me is, is companies don't necessarily disclose all of their mm -hmm. financial experts. And I'm not sure why that is, because frankly, if I had a financial expert on you know, my committee, yeah, I would want it. it. Yeah, you would yeah. be transparent about that, right. right? It's a good thing. Right. But they don't always disclose all the ones that they have. But you know, on average, there's, there's over two on every committee. 
But the other thing is, um, you know, the definition of that, to be a financial expert, you could have been somebody, you know, a CFO background, you could have an auditing background, obviously, an audit partner, retired audit partner. You could even be a CEO who oversaw the CFO, and therefore they would qualify as an audit committee financial expert. A lot of folks in like investment or private equity space. So you do get an interesting mix. And then to your point earlier, now with um, audit committees taking on that broader risk agenda, we are also seeing different people you know, joining the committee, maybe somebody with a technology background mm. and otherwise. A really interesting trend that we're also seeing is for new directors that join the board that maybe even have like a marketing background or something very different, some companies are putting them on the audit committee on purpose because it's a great way to learn a company. Sometimes I think about that as cruel and unusual punishment, <laughs> but you know, um, it is a really good way to learn a company. Yeah. Um, and if you're not relying on them as a financial expert, I think maybe that is a win-win. Well, yeah, that was actually gonna be one of my questions for you. So if the average audit committee has 2.2, maybe a little more, because they're not disclosing all of them. What are all the non-financial experts on the audit committee? How can they get up to speed on the things that are key to them? Well, first of all, you really do have to understand the, the financial drivers of the business anyway, whether you're on the audit committee or, the or board. not, or yeah. just on the board, you have to understand that. So I think they do have to do a little bit of homework. They do ask interesting questions. You know, people that aren't completely immersed in something bring a very different perspective to the room. And so I think the diversity is actually a good thing because you get very different. You get sort of like that outsider in kind of question because they're not immersed in the topic. So. Right. And then I guess it is helpful from the point of view that then anyone who's presenting, you need to make sure it's truly in plain English. Exactly. And that you, you know, anytime you have to explain something to someone who doesn't have as much knowledge, it actually forces you to do a better job explaining it. Yeah. So. No, you're absolutely right. I think it actually can be a really good thing. So then how about when you look at the composition of the committee, what are some of the other key things that you would look for? I think the audit committee chair is such an incredibly important role. Um, given the huge you know, plate of responsibilities, I think you need an audit committee chair that is one, very organized, right? So that it can make sure that they can get through this agenda, get through it timely. You know, they have to really manage the clock during meetings and so forth. But they also need to have, um, I think, really good interpersonal skills and time, the ability to interact with executives um, throughout the year and certainly do the prep, you know, pre-meeting calls with, if you think about it, probably somebody in the finance team, mm -hmm. CFO or chief accounting officer with the partner from the external audit team as well as internal audit. I mean, those pre-calls before the meeting are, are so important for, I think, building trust with the organization and with, you know, these individuals. And then also just to get behind the issues and really understand the issues and be able to make sure that everyone's asking the right questions. And then also that the presenters for the committee meetings are prepared and have an idea of what's going to be on the minds of the audit committee. And therefore, you're going to have a much more efficient and effective meeting. Yeah, I was thinking when you're speaking that having the effective chair really translates overall to a more effective meeting environment. But I guess taking a step back then, if you know, going back to what you said about all of these different topics that audit committees have to cover, even with an effective chair, 
What can management do to help with the effectiveness of the audit committee meeting? Yeah, you know what's um, kind of funny? I think back, remember before we had the digital you know, yes. board book or whatever, it was a binder, right? And, and the board members had to be able to carry the binder on the airplane to come to the meeting. Yes. So you couldn't have uh, too many papers of information, right, yeah. in the binder, right? And so um, that's how it was then. Now, because it's digital, you can put as much as you want in there. And I think board members are starting to suffer from too much information and in fact some board members have said oh my goodness if you print out what we have in here that we're supposed to read it's like a foot tall yeah which is crazy and it's hard to get them to you know get information to them well in advance as well because of the timing of getting things done at the end of a reporting period the information needs to be pretty efficient for them to go through right so there's probably three things that I sort of think about that can be done one, um, for the areas that are repeat topics, and that would be like internal audit, um, ethics and compliance, and um, even some elements of external audit or otherwise, mm -hmm. anywhere that you can use a dashboard reporting, I think is fantastic. So it's something that the committee will get really used to, so when they open it up for the, you know, in their pre-read materials, they can zero in on what it's trying to tell them really quickly. What's changed. What's changed from quarter over quarter, mm -hmm. what trends they're seeing. It'll be really obvious for them, and I think that's a great way to just synthesize the information and make it efficient. So dashboard reporting is one area. For certainly for things, big reporting documents like 10Qs and 10Ks, which, you know, it's hard to find that needle in that haystack, right? right. So 500 pages. Yeah, however many you're yeah. reading, and it's really yeah. hard to get through it all. So, of course, having like an executive summary in advance that would highlight the key discussion points maybe that the disclosure committee went through, key decisions that the company had to make about external reporting. Mm -hmm. Judgments. Judgments, areas. Changes. Yeah, whatever yeah. the big transactions were for the quarter, right. whatever it is, and then highlighting that section of the SEC document so the board members know exactly where to focus when they're reading. Now, hopefully they're reading the entire document, but they can zero in on those critical points. So I think that's, that's an important thing. And then, honestly, even the external auditors can get in the game because they also provide things like rep letters every quarter and so forth, and even those can be 20-something pages yes. long. <laughs> so also highlighting changes in those quarter over quarter so that the committee knows exactly where they really need to focus. It just, you know, it's just helpful for people. So I think there is things that management can do, and even just having a frank dialogue between the CFO or the chief accounting officer and the chair of the audit committee to, to just ask the question, say, look, we've been providing this information to you for a long time. Is there anything that you think might be helpful to make it better and more efficient for the members of the committee? Yeah, and I think going back maybe to the point you made about the stacks of paper is really focusing in on not giving extraneous information. So making sure they have what they need to do their job, but not overly inundating them because then that actually sends them in the other direction where they can't do their job anyway. You're absolutely right. Okay, great. So then Paula, given the broad range of topics on the agenda, what else can the audit committee members do to stay on top of things? I, mean, I touched on this briefly earlier, but what are some best practices audit committees can have? Yeah, I mean, I do see um, a lot of audit committee members, certainly ones that need to keep up a, a CPA license, for example, getting, you know, doing extracurricular, you know, education to make sure they're staying on top of accounting topics and so forth. So that's a good thing. But for most audit committees, um, if you map out the agenda for the year, putting some time in the agenda even for a deeper dive on an accounting topic, like for example, if you know taxes is one that at least every year or two, the audit committee ought to think about doing a deep dive and understanding where the key reserves are and the judgments and so forth, 
or something new that comes about, like a new accounting pronouncement, a deep dive into that, or you know, critical audit matters would be would have been an area this last year where you might have done a deeper dive. Lots of, you know, every company has the one or two big judgment areas, which are probably going to be their CAMs, but those types of areas where the committee can do a deep dive at least once a year, I think that's a really good best practice. And, you know, you change it up year over year, but the goal would be is every couple of years you've hit all of these big areas and you know if there's any changes. Yeah, so actually when you were talking about that, I was just thinking, you mentioned the fact that there's on average about eight and a half meetings a year. In terms of organizing the agenda, what do you see as best practices of what either the audit committee chair or management can do to make sure the right topics are getting covered at the right points in time? You don't over-inundate some meetings, have some that are too skinny. Like, What would you recommend in terms of setting the audit committee agenda? Yeah, th this is actually, there's a whole art behind that process, <laughs> right? Because you, you really need to start first with your audit committee charter. So what have you committed to in the charter that the committee is going to do during the year? So that should include, you know, what risk oversight areas you're responsible for covering and all the different things that the committee's committed to doing. Oh, back to the fact that some might cover cyber, some might not. Exactly. Some might cover risk, some might not. So really understanding what it is. What's the charter? Yeah. What have we okay. committed externally that we're going to, and internally, that we're going to do, right? So then you take that and you lay out sort of what they call the audit committee flow for the year, which really is like the agenda, but it's it lays out the entire year so that you can make sure that you've got all the, you know, all the things that you've committed to laid out. And then I see a lot of companies having like a quarterly call with all the players to say, okay, here's the way the committee meetings are gonna work for this quarter. Maybe we have one, maybe we have two, an off cycle mm -hmm. meeting. And the amount of time that we've allotted, what's on the agenda, is that all gonna work or do we need to shift something from one meeting to another meeting and so forth? And Frankly, you know, some audit committee meetings are like two and a half to three hours in order to commit all, you know, you get all everything stuff done, in. right? right. And those would probably be the in-person meetings. And then the telephonic meetings tend to be shorter, so maybe, you know, an hour and a half, maybe two hours. It's hard to keep people's attention on the phone longer than two hours. Yes, definitely. But, um, but you know, you have to figure out how to fit it in, and it's a juggling exercise, and you can't keep pushing things to the back half of the year, or you're going right. to you know, right. get into trouble. You're going to run out of time. So it does have to be laid out and you have to constantly look at it to make sure you're staying on that audit committee flow that you've planned out. So it's another important role for the audit committee chair, I guess, working with yes. the key uh, resource at the company as well. Yeah, so. exactly. Okay, so then Paula, moving on, we've talked about a lot of items, but what other trending areas do you see that are being covered by audit committees? Yeah, so I would say no rest for the weary yes. with the, for the audit committee. So a couple of things that are getting a lot of discussion is, first of all, um, ESG reporting. So that's reporting related to environmental, social, and governance matters. It can be linked to sustainability reporting and so forth, but usually that reporting, there are like KPIs or other measurements, and they need to be investor grade at this point because investors are trading off of that data. So audit committees are starting to take that information on as well. What are the policies and procedures around that, the internal controls around the development of those metrics, mm -hmm. whatever they are, are they consistent year over year? Are they accurate? You know, all that information has to be thought about. So the more and more that companies get into doing, you know, more elaborate, more refined, I would say, sustainability and ESG reporting, I think that the audit committee is going to get more involved in that process. Well, and I guess it depends really from a company perspective where you are in your ESG journey. So someone who's new to it, maybe the audit committee is helping 
push them into even thinking about it and starting to define where they want to focus versus, I mean, obviously some companies are quite far along in talking about assurance and other things around it. So it's going to depend. But again, it's another area where the audit committee They'll play a role. Yeah, play a role and really get up to speed on, on what's out there and what they should be thinking about. Because again, depending on the mission of the company, it's really going to impact potentially what they want to focus on. You're absolutely right. And then um, another area that um, audit committees are thinking about a lot is certainly around the digital transformation of companies and the evolution of the finance function. So, you know, since audit committees are responsible for the financial reporting and the internal controls around the financial reporting, as companies' finance functions, you know, start to modernize and do different things, the audit committee needs to pay attention to what's going on. They need to make sure that the internal controls are, are in place along the way. So as you change things, you know, are you making sure that you're keeping things at least consistent enough so that the financial reporting is accurate throughout the change process? Do you have the right talent and skills in the organization? I think there's a real focus not only just on the, the accuracy of the financial reporting, but also wanting the finance function to be a real asset to the organization. So audit committees are definitely focusing on where, that, where they are in the evolution there and trying to make sure that they're helping the company, but also safeguarding the process, the financial reporting process along the way. Right, but it sounds like then the audit committee can have an important role in helping finance even be best in class to some extent as they're making some of these changes. Yeah, yeah. Um, culture oversight, probably another area. Um, boards have really been paying more attention broadly to culture oversight. Um, certainly when you have a lot of these corporate scandals that we've seen over the last couple of years, sometimes it really does get down to the culture of the organization. And so um, boards have focused on that. And I think generally, but I think the audit committee actually has a really interesting view into that. First of all, you know, obviously they get the insight from whistleblower and ethics hotline information, but they also get an opportunity to interact with the head of internal audit. And many internal auditors these days, when they're going out and doing site visits and so forth and their regular testing and process that they do, they're also doing an element of a culture audit. You know, internal audit goes all over the world mm -hmm. and um, they get a chance to see a company in very different venues, right? So they can provide some insight back to the committee about the culture of that location, if you will. So what they saw when they were there. And then the other group is the external auditors. I mean, external auditors, you know, while they're doing a financial audit, they also get a chance to talk to a lot of levels of management, a lot of different locations around the world even lots of different departments, if you will, in an organization. So they also have some insights that they can bring to the committee around the culture of the organization. So I think the audit committee gets a lot of good information that they can take back to the full board when the full board's thinking about where is our culture now, where are we trying to progress it, what are risks around the culture, but what are opportunities as well. Right, and because it raises a question for me is, let's say I'm on the audit committee internal audit reports, XYZ location, we have some concerns around the culture there. Then what can the audit committee do next? Or what's an example of something the audit committee can do with that information? Well, I think first of all, one thing that's really important to make sure you're doing is connecting dots, right? So if internal audit says, look at this one location, we found there was a lot of stress in the system, you know, we felt it was you know, maybe undue pressure or something that about the culture that 
cause some concern. I think the biggest question would, if I was on the audit committee, would be is that really, is that isolated? Or is there a trend there? Have mm. we seen that at other locations in that region or other areas in that same division or, or what? So trying to figure out if you've got an isolated problem or if you might have a bigger, more pervasive problem. Connecting dots is one of the hardest things that board members have to do. I mean, that, that really is it, right? Because they get a lot of different information, but making sure that you're connecting what you heard on the audit committee to maybe what the CHRO told the compensation committee. Mm -hmm. So maybe some insights that that group got, and then maybe some insights that somebody else got working on a risk area or something. So it, it is connecting the dots from all the different information. Right. Well, and just thinking of all of these different tasks, it's hard for someone with a full-time job to keep up on and then the audit committee members are just kind of dipping in and out so it's just yet another thing for them exactly they're about. dropping in and i think that management has to understand that right that they really you know it's very hard for the board member to really understand the whole story so trying to give them information that will help them link it all and really get a feel for the culture and what's going on i think is important but uh, management really has the best pulse on what's going on, so they need, they need to be very helpful in the process. Yeah, one other interesting point you raised is the fact that if, for example, cultural issues are identified, then the audit committee needs to take that back to the full board. And what do you see from best practices in terms of communication between the audit committee and the board? What types of things, frequency? What most boards do is that there's a, you know, an element of the full board meeting where committee chairs report in and say this is what, you know, the issues were that we talked about in the audit committee. Just sort of a brief summary, maybe 10 minutes, 15 minutes of here's the summary of the hot issues from our committee meeting that we had earlier today or yesterday mm -hmm. or, or last month or whatever it was. But there's actually some boards still where the entire board comes to the audit committee. They may not be on the audit committee, so they may not vote to approve certain things and so forth, but the entire board sits in the room. And one of the efficiencies around that is you don't have to do a committee readout because everyone's in the room. It is an interesting environment. I, mean, I attend lots of different audit committees, and there's there's some audit committees that I attend where there's like 25 people in the room. Yeah, I had a few clients that everyone attended. It was considered a key meeting yeah. for them. Yeah, and then there's others where there's just, you know, five or six people. So it's a very, it, it really depends on the culture of the organization, the culture of the board, mm -hmm. what the traditions are, and so forth. And, and everything can work, right? It, there really is no right way or have to. It's it, whatever works best for your governance practices. Right. Makes sense. All right. I think I took you off my question that I had asked originally, but just want to see if you have any others. So any other trending areas that the audit committee should be focused on? Yeah, I think I would say an oldie but goodie that's still around is third party and maybe even fourth party, or we could even expand that risk oversight. So the whole vendor management area, certainly with the expansion of risks and thinking broadly past, you know, FCPA and even into cybersecurity and data privacy and all that, when you think about all of the third parties that companies do business with, this is a challenging area for management to get their arms around. But obviously, when the board is trying to make sure that they're doing their oversight around cyber or whatever, they have to take into consideration what's happening with these third party uh, groups that the company interacts with. That's one that's, I'd say oldie but goodie because I think it's been around for a long time. I don't think any, it, it's really hard to master that area, so it just continues to be on the agenda. So then in terms of on the spectrum towards mastery, what types of things do you see audit committees do that do this well? First of all, it's on the agenda, probably, you know, once this a year. Good starting point, yeah, keep yeah. it on the agenda. So 
keep the focus, management focused on it. Typically, what's happening there is people are starting a program around third-party risk, you know, or they have a program, and they're continuing to advance it and perfect it and make it better. So reporting in what areas that you're covering there. I certainly think um, asking internal audit to take a look at some mm -hmm. of the controls around it every once in a while is also helpful for the committee to kind of get their arms around how well the company's doing in that area. But it, it comes up quite a bit. I mean, it just, you can't really avoid it. And then obviously when we hear about a lot of the cyber breaches, right. a lot of times it goes back to some third party vendor somehow that um, was the core root cause, if you will, for the, the, the breach. Well, so it sounds like even just understanding that the company has these relationships, what they're using them for, what the management's oversight over them would be a good starting point. Absolutely. Very good. So Paula, thank you. A lot of great insight. Any final thoughts for our audience? Uh, anything else that they should be focused on? Or if not, where they could go for more information? We do. Uh, my group, the Governance Insights Group at PwC, we put out a lot of um, information for boards primarily. Um, and we have a series called the Audit Committee Excellence Series that is fairly short pieces that are covering all the hot topics and responsibilities of the Audit Committee, like oversight of external auditors is one, oversight of internal audit is one, non-GAAP reporting is another one. Mm, so we area. Yeah, so we've probably got, you know, your top 10, like, main commentary covered in the Audit Committee Excellence Series. And then one of them, in particular, I think, kind of outlines a lot of the things we talk about, we talked about, which is our audit committee excellence series called Practical Tips for the Audit Committee Chair. And that kind of talks about how important the role of the audit committee chair is and the things that he or she needs to think about in doing their role, what's important. And it also has an example of that audit committee flow oh. for the year that we talked about. So there's some, there's some interesting things in there. And then last but not least for the audit committee that I always think is an important area is they do play a role in deterring fraud at the organization. So while that's management's responsibility, the board, I think, also has a role for sort of setting the tone. So there's different things that they can do. We outline them in this practical tips for the audit committee chair. But just as a couple of examples, I see audit committee chairs, for example, going to internal meetings like for internal audit mm. to talk to them about how important the internal audit function is to not only the company, but to the board, and just kind of set that tone around the organization. So there's other things that are on the plate of the audit committee that they need to think about. Kind of also, I guess, a culture. It's kind of a little bit around setting culture, but setting tone of the organization. Right, and so. I have to say, I, I use some of these publications on some of my clients, and I know it's not just a resource for the audit committee, but it's for management and the external auditor too, because to your example, you know, maybe management could suggest to the audit committee, oh, could you participate in some of these meetings? And it, it can be a two-way street. So definitely recommend to our listeners to check these out. So Great. Paula, thanks again for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me. Please join me here again next week when we continue our series on financial reporting considerations with a discussion of frequently asked questions on leasing presentation and disclosure. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to our podcast series wherever you find your content. I'd also love to hear from you, so please reach out to me on LinkedIn with questions, suggestions, or just to follow me to stay up to date on the latest content. For PwC, I'm Heather Horn. Thanks for tuning in. 
This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.